There's no music if you have no body to play it with, so take care of your body first. You getting into the gym and you lifting weights and working on muscles, is this, it's physical therapy for the benefit of your playing. But the truth is nothing works like just taking care of the simple stuff. Diet, exercise and sleep. Take care of that and you'll be fine. Join us as two musicians and fitness coaches discuss strength, wellness and fitness in relation to musicians, artists and performance. I don't get that get that from from my American clients. I find people more receptive. Um, maybe you're more perhaps further along, ju just as you are in terms of athlete training. Perhaps you're further along in terms of artist training. I certainly think in my field, the most technically proficient singers come from the U.S. at the moment. Um, you know, you hear a 24-year-old, 25-year-old baritone singing in Juilliard or whatever, and they, they'll be just as good as a 32-year-old British singer, you know, or maybe even more technically, technically proficient. There's something wonderful going, in, going on in the teaching in the States at the moment. And perhaps, I, I wonder if the two things are related, the openness to, to new ideas, trying new things, not, not being stale in your approach mm -hmm. might be part of the reason. We've had a lot of conversations about that lately. It is a big question because mm. we feel like we are stale over here. Right. Okay. It's interesting to hear that from your <laughs> perspective because we're like, what is it that, that Lee said? She said, uh, you know, that we have this, this modality that it's the, the teacher down and you just sit there and listen to whatever the teacher says and you do whatever the teacher says. You don't mm. ask questions. The, quest the teacher doesn't ask you questions. You just mm. do. Huh. And there is that modality to what we learn here in the U.S. So it's it's interesting to hear that from the other side of the pond, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, you know that I have articulated that to people in the U.S. before, and they've given me that same response uh, that they that they actually feel that they are stale. So obviously, maybe maybe I've just been lucky the people I happen to have worked with. Um, and once again, I have to, I know I've said it like three times now, but just so I don't, uh, I don't want to annoy anyone or offend anyone. I probably offended a bunch of people by saying those things. If, if I say, you know, if, if I'm saying these things and you go, well, that's not me, then it's probably not you. You know, like I say, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm speaking generally, not universally. And probably everyone listening to this podcast doesn't fall in the category that I'm sort of, criticizing a little bit you probably listen to this podcast because you're <laughs> interested and open to ideas and things so yeah um, yeah no um, worries yeah yeah I, I don't think I mean because we talk about we have to talk about the big picture right or yeah just just talking about the U.S. musical system you know, we're no. about 50 states with dramatically different cultures. Sure. Know? Yeah, sure. And what's so, going on in Puerto yeah. Rico and Guam? Oh, nobody oh, yeah. has any idea. No. Oh, wait, they're part, they're territories. We don't even know what territories are. I mean, right. you know, yeah. like, let's be real about this. Sure. So no, sure. We're, we're always speaking on a, on a global On a generalized, level. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I have a couple of, of nutritionalistic specific questions if that's okay because sure. i've had some people ask some things number 
Dry mouth is one of these things. Beta blockers, another one of these things. And I know this might get outside your scope of practice and, that, and that's fine if you want to, if you defer to that, that's totally okay. Another is I had somebody um, ask the other day about alcohol and that, how that affects us as performers. So those three things I think are, and not just in the classical world, not the operatic world, the classical world, but also in the broader spectrum of us as musicians, you think about rock musicians, blues musicians, touring musicians, you think of the touring lifestyle, you get drugs and alcohol, right? Sure. You think of horrible nutritional habits. You're just like eating at whatever cafe you stop at or fast food or whatever. And I think that is something like I'm dealing with people in here in Nashville, Tennessee that are on the road consistently they don't know what to eat when they are on a tour bus and they stop. They don't know what a good choice is. Sure. And that happens day after day, after day, after day, they may or may not have good things on the tour bus with them. They may or may not know. I mean, and we talked about this with Vinny a little bit, you know, like sometimes you have time to get off the tour bus and you can go ride your bike and go hike and go whatever. Other times you are there. And the culture is you sit, you sit around and drink or do drugs or whatever. I mean, and this is like, this is a, this is a, a culture that is around musicians that I would love to either address or dispel or both, you know? So sure. from where you're sitting, what are, I don't even know where to start with that, but like, there's all of those things that have come at me in the last two weeks. Those have come at me. And I think people, I don't, I don't, think anybody, I don't think anybody knew I was going to be taught. We were going to be talking to you, but I've had those questions fielded to me. So um, if you have any, any insight, I think people would yeah. know. Well, a lot, I mean, obviously a lot in there. I'm just going to move positions so I can plug my laptop in. Sorry. I hope it's okay. I yeah. I cleaned my house. Um, sorry. So you're in Nashville. I am. Jen is in Tallahassee, oh. Florida. Oh, wonderful. It's uh, it's, can I, I want to come visit. It's a part of the world. I've never had, I've we only been do, to. We should, yes. We should have all of our guests come visit us here in Nashville, I think. Don't you it's, think, Jen? It's just a part of the world. I'd love to, I, I think I romanticize that part of the States. I've, I've only been to, you know, New York, Boston, Chicago. I mean, wonderful cities, obviously. Houston, I've been to. But yeah, it, I, it's just a part of the world that just, just sounds so amazing. So, so different to, very to different. my experience. Anyway. It was maybe very different seven years ago. Now it's very commercialized, but that's another story for another time. So. Maybe you've just sold me on going on a Come tour bus. Sooner and... rather than later, I'll tell you that. Before everybody <laughs> sells everything out and Music Row is gone. And well, that's another story for another time. Sure. <laughs> in okay, terms sorry. of, so a lot in what you brought up. So look, I think it's fairly clear if somebody is able to perform optimally or whatever it well enough on a diet of cigarettes, vodka and, and, you know, cocaine or whatever, they're doing so despite that diet, you know, despite the lifestyle habits, not because of it. I realize it, there's a, there can be a bit of banter about, oh, maybe, you know, it's the rock and roll lifestyle, you know, perhaps culturally sure, but not physiologically. Now, Psychologically, there is some evidence that certain drugs, let's say, um, open up avenues of creativity 
um, that can be valuable. I know a lot of writers, um, let's say, who who will write when they're on the under the influence of, of something. Um, there, there is some. Uh, no, I'm not. Obviously, I'm not advocating for the use of psychedelics or or marijuana or whatever. But it's um, there is some evidence that this is actually the case. So there may be something in there in terms of um, uh, 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 a altered cognitive experience that may play into creative creative processes. Who knows? Um, uh, it's not my area, but just just to mention that. In terms of um, alcohol specifically, um, once again, you know, alcohol is, I realize it's, you know, it's a food in, in that it, it, it's processed like a food sort of and, and has calories, but, you know, obviously it's a drug. Um, we know that it doesn't take much for it to, to really cause harm to the, to the. But let me stop you the, there because I think a lot of people don't actually know this. Sure. I don't want to, I want to say like, we think this, mm-hmm. I have been astounded lately at the amount of people I have talked to that don't know certain things, like whether like it's a, whether a, a food is a vegetable or <laughs> like not a vegetable oh, sure. or that alcohol is actually harmful. So okay. if, if we can approach this from a point of view of, we don't know anything, I think that might even be more helpful. Cause I had somebody reach out to me, um, actually an oboist who was concerned about her drinking and I'm not going to mention any names and where it doesn't matter. The the point is she's like, I'm concerned. I go out with my friends and I'm wondering how does that impact my oboe playing? How does that going to impact me when I, when I, you know, when I, when I rehearse, when I audition. And I know that I have been in those similar situations where it's like, you know, I wonder if a drink would calm me down before an audition or if it would hinder me you know and so i don't want to get too far down that path but it's like these are things that that people in the industry are dealing with and maybe no one's talking about from a nutritional standpoint maybe nobody's ever said anything to them about it interestingly i am once again not mentioning any any names but i i worked i was doing a run of performances of the opera love om uh with a tenor who was who was magnificent i mean he was a glorious singer who, who would have a pint of, of beer before every performance, which I thought very strange, you know, because a pint of beer is half a liter of beer. So it's, you know, it, it doesn't have no effect on the body, but he said, no, it calms me down. It makes me relax. Sure. I mean, in terms of health outcomes or, or relationship with certain diseases, let's say heart disease being an obvious one, alcohol tends to follow what we call like a tick curve. So if, you know, having a glass of wine a day, for example, or maybe even two, depending on your size or whatever, might reduce your risk of heart disease a little bit. But then as soon as you up it to three glasses of wine a day, four glasses of wine a day, the risk that all that benefit is negated and your risk goes through the roof exponentially, exponentially through the roof. Mm -hmm. We used to think that maybe, like particularly in wine, the relationship with wine and heart disease risk, there may be certain properties of wine that specifically mitigated against heart disease, maybe certain antioxidants. Turns out this is probably not the case. Um, the antioxidants in, in wine, yes, they, 
they are, they're present, but it seems that in order to get the benefit, you need something like 4,000 times the amount that you tend to find <laughs> in your average glass of wine. So you're not even in the ballpark of the dosage needed to get any benefit. So it turns out that the benefit <clears throat> is likely from just chilling out a little bit, you know, being, being you know, relaxed enough, chill enough to say, hey, do you know what? I'm going to have a glass of wine tonight when I watch Grey's Anatomy. I don't know. I'm showing my age. I don't know what people watch these days. Tiger King. Okay. I, I, I have no idea. I, don't, I, have a ch- I have a young child. I have no idea. I don't watch TV anymore. Um, so, um, or, or glass of wine and we did it, whatever. It, 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 it's not even necessarily anything the alcohol is doing, although the alcohol may make you feel relaxed. It's more just being a bit chill, you know, an overly restrictive lifestyle, the, the stress and neurosis that often accompanies that mm-hmm. can, can also uh, be detrimental to health in the long term. Stress, you know, stress is, is always a significant factor, as some, some would say as important as nutrition and exercise. Of course, they're all related. Mm-hmm. So, in, so, you know, in that vein, maybe a rock star, you know, there's a stress associated with performing in every night, you know, pressure having to be whatever sex symbol, you know, whatever, you know, whatever pressures rock stars are facing, I, you know, as an opera singer, I've never. I don't know. I'm not Adam Levine. (laughs) You know, maybe there is some relationship between that, you know, the need for a a bit of alcohol and, and that sort of stress, but once again, it's unlikely to translate to a bottle of vodka a night. You know, a couple of drinks might lead to some benefit. In terms of eating on the road, which is the other thing that you brought up, I'm pretty strongly of the opinion now that in a metabolically healthy individual <coughs> and a psychologically healthy individual, obviously, I'm not talking about anyone with some metabolic disease or any sort of psychological um, eating pattern, uh, disordered eating pattern. I'm pretty firmly of the, of the opinion that skipping an unhealthy meal is better than consuming an unhealthy meal. This idea of what all there was, I was at the airport and all there was was McDonald's. So I had to eat it. I I don't think it's true. Oh, (coughs) excuse me. I'm, I'm just going to grab a, a glass of water. I keep coughing. Um, uh, here I'm talking that's about really what health. you're saying, though. What you're saying. <laughs> Nobody has said that. I have never heard that in the musician's Yeah, it, it really. <clears throat> Especially here in Nashville, where, like, if any time I go, and now I've been in, in Arizona, in Phoenix, where uh, Jen is from, and same with, you know, Tallahassee same situation like there's always musicians like you can see the the guitarists on the back like you see it all the time but like that's not with my clients it's always the former never the latter it's like okay I had to have something well you didn't pack anything with you most of you had to have that what once again general not universal but in the western world we don't really experience true hunger 
you know, we most of the time we have some sort of food freely available at arm's reach at all times. I, I realize that's not the case for everyone, but generally speaking, in the Western world, we're lucky, we're privileged enough to be in this scenario. When we say, oh, I had to have something, <clears throat> what we're normally talking about is a surge of the hormone ghrelin, which makes you hungry. It's, it's a transient hormone in the bloodstream, just like anything else, adrenaline, whatever. You know, a, a crude example a colleague of mine uses is like, you know, you don't have to have sex every time you feel Randy. We say Randy in the UK. Does, do you say Randy in the US? Do you know what Often I mean? enough, it, we know what it means. <laughs> yeah, you, you, we, we recognize it <clears throat> in that context. You know, sometimes you feel a surge of, you know, libido, shall we say. But we just go, it'll pass. You know, you might be at whatever at work. It, you know, it's it, um, so we recognize the ability <clears throat> to notice these transient feelings and dispel them in other contexts. But for some reason, culturally, we've decided that with food, we're not able to we are out of control of our experience here. And if, if you feel a, a slight creeping up of ghrelin in your bloodstream, you must reach for the closest fried chicken. Otherwise what? Otherwise what? What's the consequence? Well, what would happen is you'd feel a bit hungry and 10 minutes later, you'd forget about it. That's what would happen in, in the context of a normal eating pattern and lifestyle. You would just forget about it. The, the hormone would go away. Your body would go, oh, I, guess, I guess we're not eating. It would release a bit of, of glucose from your, from your liver, from your, from your muscles to give you a bit of burst of energy. If you're, metabolic health, if you're metabolically healthy, you'll start to burn body fat as fuel. That's one of the reasons body fat is there to give us energy in the context of, of caloric scarcity. And you just get on with your day. And you would avoid eating the fried chicken that would give you little value other than, a, you know, a bit of protein. Um, yeah, but, you know. Uh, the value of being metabolically healthy and, uh, sorry, let me set, take a step back. A lot of the times we eat, most of the time we eat, I would say, it's, it's cultural. We eat breakfast because... I don't know. You eat breakfast. That's what we do. You eat lunch because I don't know. That's what we do. We eat dinner. You know, it's social. It's cultural. We, like we, we mentioned earlier, we eat to celebrate. We eat to commiserate. We eat for, for all sorts of reasons that have nothing to do with the physiological need to eat. So the reason I say this is, is I'm not trying to get people to starve themselves, but once you recognize this and get your body into a state of metabolic flexibility, where if you don't eat your body just goes oh okay i've got i mean you know i'm not you know a one percent body fat guy but you know i'm, I'm relatively lean probably 14 15 percent in the healthy body weight range i would have hundreds of i have hundreds of thousands of calories of stored energy on my body in in stored in in, the, in terms of body fat these days and days and days and days of calories that I can utilize in a sense in, in conditions of caloric scarcity. If you 
get, become metabolically flexible. Your body recognizes, okay, I'm not eating now. So I just tap into those stores. It's a wonderfully liberating experience. Um, there's a, a certain mindfulness that comes with it. You recognize, oh, I'm feeling hungry, but it's going to pass in 10 minutes rather than being a slave to it. And of course, it stops you from this, I would say, unhelpful idea of, oh, well, you know, I was at the train station. And what do you do at the train station? Well, you grab something to eat, but all they had was junk food that made me feel sick. Well, don't eat it. Don't eat it. Eat later. Eat, you know, there'll be food available at some point. You know, we're not on a desert island here. Um, it, it, the, this is a, uh, um, I think. I don't think we are seldom... okay with the idea of being hungry, that being hungry is okay. <clears throat> yeah. That comes into psychology, yeah. with psychology a little bit, maybe? Psychology, I think also marketing. Um, you know, we, you go to any venue now and it's just eat this consume mm. you know a, a consumption mentality is certainly in our in our culture at the moment whether we're consuming food or entertainment or social media or each other's energy or you know whatever it is consumption is the sort of name of the game at the moment um at the moment the the, the main one is attention consumption you know who's who's getting your attention is it youtube is it facebook is it instagram is it, you know um yeah, so we're not okay with it. And also, you know, so, so, and then also there's, there's some lies being told. You know, mm -hmm. people go, if I skip lunch, I'll go into starvation mode and my body will wither and decay. I don't, do, do you know what I mean? It, people sort of, when I ask, when you, I, I think I, I would invite you to try it when you, when somebody expresses this sentiment, get them to express it out loud. And, and before they even get to the end of the second sentence, they'll sort of realize how ridiculous it sounds, but it's ingrained. So we don't think it, we just experience it and go, oh no, I better grab whatever, chocolate bar, you know. Um, I mean, do, is it really to be believed that if you're going on a, a flight from, I don't know the flight times, from New York to... Do you fly to Philadelphia from New York? No, it's a train journey, isn't it? No, just say you a four-hour flight. <laughs> you're going on a four-hour. You're going on a four-hour flight. It's nine a.m. You've not had breakfast. Is it really to be believed? You know, so you could probably eat lunch at two p.m. Is it really be to be believed that eating a uh, whatever muck, whatever unhealthy trans fats, very little nutritional value, tons of sugar meal? is going to be better for you than just eating a little bit more healthy food later to compensate for the fact that you missed breakfast. I mean, it, 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 um, I, I think all the, my personal experience and all the evidence points to the reality that just wait, just wait. So I have a little bit of an anecdote with this and I don't, I don't want to go too far off base. Um, sure. it, like I said, it's anecdotal. So you can tell me what your your thoughts are on this from a nutrition perspective. Sure. Um, but when we were when we were working from home full time, um, I'll just say flat out, I've got um, issues with some hypoglycemia. Okay. Um, so I can be perfectly fine, and then I get that hunger signal, and if it's not addressed, like okay, well you're going to get dizzy, and if it doesn't get fixed quickly enough, you're going down. You know. <laughs> so very scary. And it was like, okay, 
I know some people are like, oh, skip this meal, skip that meal, you'll lose weight. But it was not anything that I felt able to do. But when we were doing that work from home thing, um, we started playing with, you know, the there's 10 minute walks kind of deal, taking more breaks because we were able to. So you're not in an office where there's like the social stigma if you leave. (laughs) Um, So what what I found was, um, okay, I start feeling hungry. Okay. Get up. Half a glass of water and lap around the block. Take me five, 10 minutes most maximum. And that hunger would go away. And kind of over that time, I would learn to differentiate between, okay, this is the danger. You're going to pass out hunger. And no, this is, um, your body's telling you you're hungry because you're bored out of your mind and you need to move. (laughs) You've been sitting too long, you know? Um, So I'm not sure. I I feel like that's tied into what you were talking about. Um, But even for somebody who's got that kind of like scary, no, you you need to be ready to eat whenever. Um, Like I was able to find that differentiation between I don't need it right now. I'm, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. It's a, I mean, a wonderful point. I, I'm so sorry if I didn't say it. If I didn't, I should have started with it. Obviously, okay. everything I just said is in the absence of some sort of pathology. Yeah, uh, and you, you did say yeah. that. Oh, I just said that. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. and, and, but then also, it, obviously, disordered eating is, is, is an issue also. Mm. Um, so obviously, in, the issue, in that context, nothing of what I just said is applicable obviously look after yourself in that context but that that's really interesting i mean it's um that you were able to differentiate the different types of hunger i mean that's um that's how did you feel i mean do you do was that empowering was that or was that yeah it was good i need to get back to it um going back to the office has messed me up big time but (laughs) because it it was it's easy to revert you know like oh well i really i really should stay at my desk i really shouldn't you can go take a lap. It's okay. Um, but the further away I get from that, that habit, the harder it is for me to determine now. But at the time it was really just, it became starkly obvious and it was nice because I could actually try um, intermittent fasting for the first time. I'd never done that before because it was too dangerous, dangerous quotes. <laughs> you know? sure, sure. Um, and I ended up really liking that. <clears throat> And, oh, well, me, I mean, me too. And, you know, this is just me um, and mm-hmm. everyone's different. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I feel so much better if I do at least a sort of 15, 16 hour fast. I tend not to eat until 1 p.m., 2 p.m. And, and I'll go like I'll get up and run or go and work out yeah. or go and train um, jujitsu or, or whatever for like two hours. Feel great. Come home. You know, and you know, when I was it's more of a gym bro. Oh, yeah. Oh, you got to eat your protein after your workout. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm stronger now at 37 than I was mm-hmm. at 27 um, doing things this way. And it's just, for me, it's, it's just, it's, it, well, I mean, this nice thing about it is that the problem with intermittent fasting is it's very hard to market because it's free. It's very hard to right. make money out of it. Unless you write a book about intermittent fasting and everyone buys it. How do you make mm-hmm. money off, you know, I don't know, you make an app that helps people fast. It, it's not, it's, it's very hard to monetize. Before you go too far with that, do you know who Martin Burkham is? I don't know. Okay. So I think he's the OG of this. He started this back in like 2002. Okay. It's been a long minute. So if you like, and of course, I'm sure if I said his website, it'd be wrong at this point. But Martin Burkham, he, he's a Swedish guy, I think. 
And he would do this whole thing where he did this whole intermittent fasting thing, but then he'd sit down and eat an entire cheesecake and the man had 6% body fat. So sure. it was just yeah. messing with people at that point. He's like, look what I can do. But he, he found a way to monetize it, but I don't know how well he monetized it. If here we are 20 years later and nobody knows who he is, but I think he was that he was the OG of the whole thing. And yeah, it, I mean, brilliant. We, Lean gains is his, uh, is it with the whole thing. Lean gains. Okay. Oh, I'll, I'll look into it. I mean, I, I find that personally very satisfying. I, you know, sometimes I just, I just won't eat till dinner and then I just get to, you know, obviously I'm not eating junk food, but I can, I can eat just a huge, wonderful, satisfying meal, not worry about how big it is, you know, and, and, but then also interestingly in that context, I won't eat junk food because I know, well, look, I've not eaten today. So I do need some nutrient density in this meal. Um, it shouldn't just be empty calories. So there, I, this is some multiple benefits from, that flow from it. But actually, Angela, not to um, contradict you, I, 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 I'm going to look into this. Uh, into this, um, is it? Sorry, Martin Burke Birkin. Yeah, yeah I've, I've just look Googled up leangains.com. Lean I think is what it. If it's still around. But, but of course, fasting is certainly didn't begin in 2002. I mean. What, what's it's Ramadan at the moment, right? Um, and 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 most um, is, you know people of the Islamic faith are, uh, are fasting from sunup to sundown, and they've been doing so for eight hundred years. Sorry, that might be wrong. Several hundred years. Um, you know, it, it, fasting. You know, is a protocol in most religions. Um, you know, uh, it, Christians, Catholics will fast at. At Lent, uh, in some manner, it might be abstaining from some sort of pleasure, or it might actually be fasting, not eating. Um, this is fairly ancient wisdom, the benefits of abstaining from food. It, it isn't, it, obviously, there's huge physiological benefits that can flow from it. We know it can in, improve cellular autophagy, the, the replacement of dying and old cells, which is obviously wonderful. It can reduce levels of inflammation, obviously, stops you from becoming overweight. It's really great for insulin sensitivity, um, which is obviously really important. Um, but also, you know, delayed gratification, just this idea of abstaining now for greater gain later is a fundamental, a fundamentally important part of being just an, a, an adult human being. Um, and it's something I think we, we're not valuing enough at the moment. Um, uh, you know, it's when they when they're testing the development of children, it's it's the ability to recognize delayed grat delayed gratification in their development. Their ability to sort of do that shows a huge significant cognitive development in the child. Um, mm -hmm. And it seems that a few our culture is not encouraging adults to do that at the moment in 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 many aspects. And I think to do a daily fast or a couple of times a week fast helps you to, to sort of st stretch those muscles, those delayed gratification muscles to work on them because you recognize, I mean, food, if you don't eat till dinner time and then you eat your favorite, you know, for me, it'd probably be like steak and vegetables or something. That food tastes amazing. Amazing. It, it tastes so much better than when you're just eating what you want at any time. You know, have you ever had, uh, I don't know, you go away on holiday for a week to a place that is catered or whatever 
and you just eat whatever you want for a week, the food stops tasting good. You, you, you become desensitized to it quickly, quickly. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's in the abstaining that makes it all the more valuable, all the more pleasurable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with food being pleasurable. I would like to put that right. out to the fitness community that food is okay right. to taste good. Doesn't mean it's bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree so, more. Okay. I couldn't agree more. When was the last time you had a pork belly? Oh my gosh. Like, it's not something you want to eat every day, but if you don't ever allow yourself to enjoy that kind of thing, ah, yeah. and if pork belly isn't your thing, like what is your thing? But if you're not allowing yourself to have that, because it's always this, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot, mm -hmm. you know? And so like putting that in the realm of musicians and how that affects our craft, if we're already on this path of, I have to practice this many hours a day and now I can't eat this. And now I have it. And it, it just, it, it doesn't work well with our craft. You know, there has to be a beautiful marriage of, I love what I do and mm -hmm. I enjoy what I eat because I'm taking care of myself. But I feel like so many times we do the opposite. I have yeah. to, I have to, I have to, I have to. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Mm hmm. Hmm. Maybe that's just yeah. me, but I, I have seen that from, no. <laughs> not just me, but I've seen it. <laughs> that's my experience too. Is like, well, I can't take care of myself because I have to practice this many hours a day and therefore I can't. Yeah. And I, I just, I just have to eat whatever is available to me. I'm like, you're going to, you're going to practice more effectively if you're, if you feel good. Like, <laughs> and I was just, yes, they're, I was talking they're, to they're a, not. They're not mutually exclusive. One <laughs> assists the other. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Right. I was just talking to a client of mine yesterday and we were talking about, um, he was off playing at the Grammys and he, he was doing a really good job of charting his food. And like, I think it was my fitness pal. And he was, I didn't chart anything at all. I'm like, all right. You know, it's, it's not about the charting of your food. It's like, are you making choices that make you feel good on a regular basis? Not just when you're out there doing your thing, because I don't know how many times I've had a client tell me, well, this is not a normal day. No day is a normal day. Normal Every day, day has yeah. got some, oh, that's not normal. Well, I had to do that. So I had to, no, they're all normal days. I don't care sure. if you're on tour or not. It's, it's par for the course for you. Over the course of a week or a month, it's, yeah. So yeah. rant over. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I, I will always, I'll always do with my clients, particularly on the first session, but, but often multiple times throughout the course of working with someone, a 24-hour recall. You know, all right, let's go through everything you consumed yesterday. No judgment. There's never any judgment, of course. I'm there to help. I'm not there to criticize. It's just there, well, you know, what did you do yesterday that we could maybe do a bit better tomorrow in line with your goals? You know, it's, it's that simple. But as soon as you bring it up, you get the, oh, well, you know, yesterday was, Oh, it was my birthday party or, well, you know, whatever. Oh, you know, I was really stressed. And I, you know, even, even, even if you preamble it with, I'm, I absolutely am not here to judge you. Whatever you say, I've probably mm -hmm. done worse. And I've certainly heard worse, you know, worse in, in inverted, you know, in, in quotations. Um, but it, it uh, you know, once again, it, this idea of, I, I find myself continuously falling back to this idea of a spectrum we don't want to let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Um, mm. So just because you 
had to have get your breakfast from Starbucks this morning. Let's say, look, you, you have, look, I, I, I know if I don't eat some breakfast in the morning, I can't function at work. Fine. Some people like that. My wife certainly like that when she thinks I'm insane when I don't eat breakfast, because if she doesn't eat breakfast, she could pass out on the floor of the kitchen, you know, by 9 30 AM. Mm-hmm. Some people like that. Fine. But let's say you didn't have time to make breakfast. You had to get something from Starbucks. It doesn't mean you have to go all out. Oh, well, I'm having Starbucks. Okay, give me three croissant, cheese croissant and a cookie. And, you know, think of the spectrum. There's, mm-hmm. there's always a slightly better decision. You know, when I say better, I mean more in line with your needs and goals. Mm-hmm. And there's always a worse option, you know. And, and if I'm being, you know, critical, if I'm being a bit harsh, some, you know, quite a few of my clients, particularly at the moment, um, have very high levels of what I'd call self-efficacy. They're very critical of themselves and they seem to respond quite well if I'm just very frank with them. So I'll often say something like, look, you're not a five-year-old at a children's birthday party surrounded by cake and, and sweets. You're an adult in life surrounded by cake and sweets. Make the adult decisions. It doesn't mean you can't have cake, but, you know, make adult decisions. It, you really um, want the cake? Maybe yes, maybe no. You know, exactly. It's, um, you're not a slave to it. You're not a slave to marketing. You're not a slave to your hunger hormones. You're not a slave to whatever cultural idea is telling you you need to consume right now. We can move past these things. I would say we can move above these things. Yeah. I have one last question. And Jen, if you have anything to jump in, please do. No. Okay. No, we talked about what I wanted to. <laughs> so as performing artists, are there any, is there anything nutritionally that you see across the board with people you've worked with or anything like that, that you would say, how do I phrase this? Either we need more of, or we need less of, or something to pay attention to that can directly impact our craft. Sure, sure. Um, I'm going to have to frame it more specifically towards like singers, unfortunately. Please do, please um, do. That's I fine. do. I do work with some non-singing musicians, but it, you know, I tend to. Tr- obviously, the voice care center is mainly vocal artists, and obviously because I'm a singer. Mm-hmm. So, look. Uh, sorry to be boring, but I, I may as well be honest. That that that. that trifecta eat whole foods mostly plants not too much if you do that you, you're pretty much good secondly believe it or not hydration everyone thinks they drink enough water most people don't when you actually measure it most people don't we're looking at about a milliliter sorry i'm using me- uh, metric you can convert it um, a liter uh, sorry a milliliter oh, beautiful a milliliter per calorie burned is is the base is the base so if you are the average man let's say consuming about two and a half thousand calories you want two and a half liters a day of water more is fine but you definitely don't want less women tend to consume a little bit less fuel calories two let's say two thousand calories on average so you want a two liters of water a day more is probably better depending on how active you are and so forth so that's the, the trifecta, fluid, an over-reliance on supplements. 
um, talking about the pill and toxin bias. Um, it, it, I, I think it's, in my experience, <clears throat> singers can be quite neurotic um, and, and understandably so. about the, you know, scarves and yeah, things. Yeah, you know. If, too much into it. Yeah, well, you know, if, if, you know, if you're an opera singer getting paid per night, per performance, if you get a cold, you can lose tens of thousands of dollars worth of income. It's happened to me. You know, if you miss two weeks of performances in the Metropolitan Opera, you know, you, you, it's a significant amount of income, um, which is why singers are neurotic. It makes perfect sense. Can, can be neurotic, sorry. And over-reliance on supplements um, tends to be a, a, a knee-jerk reaction to this. There is no, generally speaking, there is no substantive benefit to megadosing on vitamin C, vitamin D, whatever it is, zinc, whatever supplements, pills and potions people take, echinacea. Avoiding deficiency is key. Avoiding deficiency, which you will get if you eat whole foods, mostly plants, not too much. But if you if your recommended daily intake of vitamin C today is 2,000 micrograms, there is no benefit to taking 6,000 micrograms in a sachet. Not really. It, it, um, you'll just be giving yourself sort of expensive, colorful urine. So that, that would be another uh, point that I come across all the time. And I'm going to say, finally, a point on exercise. Once again, super intense hit and CrossFit workouts are very sexy. It's very sexy to flip a tire up a hill or do 30 push-ups followed by a six-mile run with a carrying a toddler on your back or, you know, whatever crazy things people do. Wonderful. These things are wonderful. I like intense workouts too. I, I, I compete in, in combat sports. I mean, that's pretty intense. Generally speaking, much more important than your three times a week, super intense workout. It's just daily ambulatory activity, getting your 10,000 steps, just being active, try not to sit for more than an hour at a time without getting up. In terms of longevity, health outcomes, as I head towards, as I hurtle towards middle age, these are things I tend to care about more than the amount of pull-ups I can do in a row. Surprise, surprise. Yes, of course, you know, doing strength training and stuff is really important. Strength training is actually extremely important. But, you know, being really fit, doing these showy things is great and, and there's benefit. But the greatest health benefit in terms of overall health, longevity, most serious diseases tend to come from just daily movement. Before you join a gym, before you join CrossFit, before you join yoga, whatever it is, make sure you're getting your 10,000 steps a day. And every day, I don't mean 10,000 today and 2,000 tomorrow, 3,000 the next day. No, 10,000 a day. Make sure you keep generally active, walk to work, carry your kids, whatever it is. You know, th these things are what lead to, to the best outcomes. I think, is that, is that, in, is that enough? That's four things. I, think I mean, so. I think it's, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's about the consistency of it. Yeah. It's not the thing. It's the consistency of the thing more than the thing. Itself. Right. And right. Yeah. It's like when I tell my, my clients when they're trying to find like 
the dietary weight loss thing that works for them. If they all, this is very simplistic view of this and feel free to argue with me, but basically it's like, you gotta find your groove. If there is, if keto works for some people, it is not going to work for other people. You got to find the one thing, if it's intermittent fasting, keto, or carb cycling, or if it fits your macros or blah, 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 whatever it is, it's maybe it's just writing it down. The important thing is the consistency of the Mm -hmm. thing, because Mm -hmm. then you'll be able to tweak it because then you will know yourself. And then mm-hmm. you're going to know what you need. And then you're not mm-hmm. just going out of somebody else said and some fad and something. Yeah. You're going to have a basis of knowledge. And yeah. that I feel is my gosh, what is missing in the fitness industry. And so when musicians try to apply that to our craft, we're like, yeah, but the shake weight looks great. Is that going to help me with my like saxophone playing? Like, <sighs> not even right. that's yeah. that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Right. So, yeah, I think and, you, I, I think that's it. I think so. And and if just with that consistency thing and with the movement thing that you were talking about, Duncan, um, I mean, I'll, just just to add this in, you know, if anybody, if you're looking at somebody to help you with um, fitness and strength and whatever, or some sort of gym or activity, and uh, you tell them that you're starting by, well, I just want to walk 30 minutes a day, and they try to tell you that's not enough, run. Sure. That is not a good person. Yeah. That is not somebody who has your best interests at heart because it's like you two are saying it's, it's the consistency, it's the daily movement. And if that's how you establish your baseline, like who's anybody else to say that's not okay. (laughs) Yeah. And and it's, of course it doesn't have to be the end goal. You might walk 30 minutes a day and go, Oh, maybe I'll walk 40. Oh, maybe I'll walk 20 minutes to the gym and then lift weights for 20 minutes. And you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it, one can, of course, yeah. expand, but it once again, right. it's that base of the pyramid thing versus yeah. the ice. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think <laughs> in my experience, if somebody is sort of following some sort of idea or plan or whatever, and they're not getting where they want to be, mm-hmm. adherence, consistency, and time. Going coming full circle, you've got to stick with the plan day in and day out. Of course, there's going to be slip-ups. Of course, there's going to be your birthday. Of course, there's going to be Friday night, oh, I'm stressed, I'm going out, whatever. Fine. But consistently in, in a real sense, 80-20, follow the plan 80% of the time, actually 80%. But for enough time, back to the start, mm-hmm. health outcomes are measured in months, years, and decades I know people, everyone, yeah, I know everyone wants to sell you a 14 day detox. It'll help you lose 15 pounds and fix all your problems. It, it's just, it doesn't work that way. Years and decades is what we're looking at. And we, we not, our brains don't like these time scales. We like shorter time scales, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> um, Duncan. Thank you for joining us today. It has been an incredible conversation. I feel like we could go down the rabbit hole for a lot more hours. We could be one of these Joe Rogan five-hour podcasts. But sure. None of us have that time today, so we're not going to do that. But um, we've had – this has been wonderful. You have really uh, given us some really great information. Um, where can people find more about you and what you do if they have questions? Sure. I mean, I, I love when people contact me just through my website, duncanrocknutrition.com. 
Uh, I am also on Instagram, Duncan Rock underscore nutrition. I will admit I'm not, I'm not great at social media. I don't dislike social media. I just, I'm finding I'm, I'm inconsistent. Shall we say I need to find the consistency. So (laughs) you also have a newborn that, well, that's yes. I don't want to make excuses, but that is the reason. Um, but I, so what I'm saying is if somebody sends me a message, often people send me a message on Instagram and I might not get back for weeks because I just don't go on it, but I always check my email. And so if you go onto my website, duncanrocknutrition.com, there's a contact form. If anyone has any questions, I love, I'm a nerd uh, for this stuff. I love chatting about it. If anyone has anything specific, I realized today I focus a lot on the base, the generalities, but I do love getting specific as well when it's necessary. And of course, if anyone is interested in consultations and things, that's where you can reach me as well. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, If you guys, uh, if you liked what we are talking about today, or if you have any additional comments on the subject, you want to go ahead and put that down for us, send us some comments, uh, share to your friends so that people know that musicians need nutrition too. (laughs) Um, And be sure to uh, subscribe and uh, give us a rating. That, That helps us out a lot. Angel, right. did I forget anything else? <laughs> Share, like, okay. subscribe, review, all those things. And thank awesome. you, God. Thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Hey, musicians. Did you know that up to 90% of musicians will experience playing-related pain or injury over the course of their career? How many hushed conversations have you heard about a lingering, quote, shoulder pain or a weird tingling in your fingers or maybe low back pain or a crampy weakness or maybe you or your colleague just says, I just have to get through the gig. And you watch them pop Advil like candy, maybe flush it down with whiskey. How many times have we seen something like this? So many, right? Well, it's time we start talking about our struggles, our pain, our frustrations in a private space where we don't just complain and mobilize and blindly stretch, but we learn how to strengthen our muscles, our career successes, and build each other up. I've got a brand new program that combines all of these things, and I want you to be a part of it. It's a community, not a workout. It's a community with group coaching and great content that in 12 weeks will have you understanding more about your body, what you need, and how you work so you can avoid that career-threatening injury. The three things that musicians don't want. We don't want to be injured. We don't want to have a lack of stamina. And we don't want to be clueless, a.k.a. when you hurt, who do you go see? Just a, quote, doctor? Well, this program addresses all of those things. You're going to walk away with an immense knowledge of who to see. You're going to be empowered because you're going to know what to do should you ever get injured or should you have a colleague that gets injured. You will be able to actually offer appropriate advice. You're also going to learn about the body and the anatomy as it relates to playing your instrument and your own anatomy. And then you're going to learn how to build not just your strength and endurance, but you're going to learn how to design your own corrective exercise program. So I hope you will join me in this new program. It's called the Music Strong Pilot Program, Job Security for Musicians.